Welcome to episode number 132 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, our seventh episode in our Women in Civil Engineering series, I will be talking with civil engineer Pavitra Ramoan, region manager at DeepRoot. Pavitra will be talking about renewable energy and specifically decoupling the water energy nexus. Very interesting stuff. Really excited to share this episode with you. We're also going to dive into her background as well as her journey from India to the United States. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and now travel the world helping engineers. And at the Engineering Management Institute, we've developed hundreds of free podcast episodes, which you can find on our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and on iTunes and YouTube. Now, before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode. A big thank you to EMI's newest podcast sponsor, CMBHR Consulting a privately owned full-service staffing and recruitment firm specializing in placing civil engineers, including structural, bridge, water resources, and stormwater. CMBHR Consulting is headquartered in Houston, Texas, with clients throughout the U.S. and globally. CMBHR Consulting connects their solutions with companies' problems. They pride themselves on building a firm with respect and trust, both for their clients and the excellent candidates they place through integrity, hard work, and honesty. I'll tell you more about our new sponsor, CMBHR Consulting, a little later on in the episode. Also, a quick reminder, the next session of our Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop, this is our people skills training for young and aspiring engineering managers, starts in mid-February 2020. You can check out the details and get enrolled at engineer2manager.com. That's engineertomanager.com. We're also launching a sister program, the Project Management Accelerator course, so that we can help engineering managers build both people and project management skills. More on that soon. All right, now let me bring you into the interview for this episode by telling you a little bit more about our guest for today, Pavitra Ramoan. As a region manager at DeepRoot, Pavitra oversees the development, design, marketing, consulting, sales, and construction of projects involving Silva Cell technology. Silva Cells allow an efficient integration of water, soils, and tree roots and promotes on-site stormwater management through bioretention. Pavitra is also passionate about community engagement and social impact, and she serves on the Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transportation Authority, LA Metro, Sustainability Council. All right, so let's jump in to today's interview with Pavitra Ramoan. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'm excited to welcome today's guest onto the Civil Engineering Podcast, Pavitra Ramoan. Pavitra is a regional manager at Deep Root located in Los Angeles. Pavitra, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Just to introduce myself, I'm Pavitra, Region Manager, SoCal for DeepRoot. We're a global water technology leader specializing in building sustainable water spa- uh, urban spaces. 
including uh, both promoting healthy tree growth and also efficient stormwater management. Our uh, flagship technology called Silver Cells is a modular suspended pavement system. So I'm really excited to join you all today to share my experiences. And I'm really excited to be speaking with you, Pavitra, for a lot of reasons. We're going to dig into a lot of stuff here. But first, before we kind of dig into some of the things you're doing at work, I want to talk a little bit about you, you know, personally, your journey. You came here to the U.S. from India, and I know you're passionate about what you do in water resources, and I know it's partially because of where you came from. So talk to us about that a little bit. Yes, I'm from India, southern part of India, a city called Chennai. And if you're watching some of the latest news, it's one of the regions that's facing high levels of water stress. So coming from that area, you know, clearly water is a very sensitive topic there. And across the globe, you know, there are increasing number of countries facing that levels of stress. So I clearly, as a teenager, I wanted to pursue a career in engineering, especially focus in water and environment. And at that time, uh, A&M came highly recommended to me uh, with the opportunities available there, both at TTI, which is Texas Transportation Institute. And uh, I had the opportunity uh, to work on uh, projects that are like real time, you know, with the quantitative results that could impact the type of technologies used in the stormwater space. I have developed deep expertise in engineering consulting. I work for engineering firms including Hatch, Corolla Engineers, URS, Atkins. And I've been very fortunate to be part of teams and experiences that have just propelled me to advance, you know, in terms of making an impact, moving the needle. And a year ago, when I joined Deep Root, for me, it was uh, transforming from consulting to enhanced consulting. So in addition to services, professional services, it was services and technology. So that enabled me to work more closely, more upstream with our clients here. That way, even while the opportunities or projects are in conceptual stage, I can work with them in terms of applications and what is the best suitable technology for their particular project or initiative. I'm really excited to be part of the Deep Root team and our mission to build sustainable urban spaces. That just sounds really exciting. and. Want to dig into that, but just one last question on kind of your journey here to the United States. How long ago did you come here? I moved to the United States about 15 years ago. What part of your career was that college or before college? Or It was my master's. It was my second master's. Talk about that transition. I mean, at this point in time, when I speak to you, it sounds like well, you've been here forever and, you know, you're really doing a wonderful job with a lot of great work, but I'm sure just the transition from coming from one country to another in itself, as well as while you're learning all this new technical concepts must have been challenging. Yes, you know, it's uh, clearly very different. The place where I'm coming from is a very diverse background. So I'm used to having interact. I went to one of the best schools in India called Bits Pilani. And uh, it gave me that platform where you had folks from across the globe, you know, joining that school. So I had that experience of interacting with fellow uh, classmates who are from other parts of the country. Within India, you know, there are so many different regions and so diverse. The way aspects, you know, basic resources such as water and energy are dealt with are different. It gave me that good start. So when I moved to United States, 
clearly, you know, those experiences in terms of not just diversity, but also in terms of how business is done. If you're thinking of uh, a P3 type arrangement here to build design and build projects, you know, public-private partnership, how do you bring the investors to the table? You know, how do you quantify the benefits? How do you then develop the streamlined framework of how the costs are being split? So there's a lot of comparisons, you know, or uh, key insights that I could draw from how things are done back home. And even during the engineering program, we have internships, or we call it the practice school, where you're actually part of the industry there and you see how it is done. So as part of that, I was part of Navy Lee Ignite Corporation. It's the largest coal producer, you know, in India. It's key uh, to draw those comparisons and be able to add that value in addition to the other key things, such as diversity and uh, comparison and contrast. All that being said, let's dig into you know some technical topics, some of the things you're working on, which are really interesting. I know that you're passionate about the need that we have for transformed infrastructure. It's a big thing. And when, when you and I talked before the interview, we talked a little bit about this idea of decoupling the water and the energy nexus, which I found to be really interesting. Can you talk about that a little bit for our listeners? By that very term, you know, it's one of those uh, buzzwords that everyone uses. Basically, we are talking about the basic interdependency between the water and the energy resources. Clearly, there is nexus. And then it's high time we start talking about decoupling that nexus. And the approach is not even one of those, hey, it's optional, good to have. But it's more like the way I view it, it is a strategic imperative. Because as I said, you know, increasing number of countries facing this higher levels of water stress. So it's really important that you decouple it else the way you produce energy, you know, that is going to suffer. Say you have a desal plant and if that's your way, go to move to produce water, you're using up a lot of energy to create that. And on the other hand, you have this power plant that you're trying to have cooling towers and whatnot, that you're trying to keep it cool and running. You're using water for that. It's not sustainable. So it's not even an optional approach, but I think it's in our benefit. It's a global priority that we look into efforts to decouple the water energy nexus. And the good news is there is already technology in place. That's where, you know, where you have other sources. There are other sources of renewable energy in addition to the solar and wind that we hear a lot about. There are mechanisms such as renewable natural gas, where basically you go to wet organic material, right? Waste material and convert them into methane gas and basically use that as an RNG. So there are ways you can do it. And that's where aspects, you got to look beyond economics and enforcement. I think the stage where we are right now, it's about consistency and transparency. What is the source of that energy? You know, what kind of credit can be obtained? A renewable energy certificate. They are trying out some pilot mechanisms in Minnesota where they're looking at if you're a manufacturer of renewable energy gas, there is a way you can trade that. You can gain certificates and investors can buy into it. There are ways you can apply those to achieve consistency and transparency. So I think that's critical to decouple it. In terms of renewable energy, that's also kind of one of these words you hear thrown around a lot or phrase you hear used a lot, but I think some people may not understand what that means. So 
Can you explain what is renewable energy? What would be an example or what would that mean? If you look at the biggest sources of renewable energy is, is your solar, wind, you hear about hydropower. And the biggest challenge, you know, people who say, hey, you cannot go 100% renewable and there is going to be always this reliance on fossil fuels is because these biggest sources of renewable energies are not dispatchable. And what we mean by not dispatchable is it's not an on and off thing. It's not something you can just, it cannot be made up and down, you know, at a short notice. Your grid does not adjust, right, to this. You have to work on the supply and the demand. So that's the key aspect where they're like, okay, then you're going to need some kind of storage device, right? Like an advanced battery or other energy storage technologies that you can use in order to handle peak circumstances. That's where you got to be creative about it. Because they're saying that in order for us to go 100% renewable energy, you got to be like the price got to drop like 90% from what it is today to like $20 kilowatt hour. Now it's like a $200. That's a drastic thing, right? But that's where I think it takes for professionals like us to get creative about it in the sense uh, maybe the, as they call the EAF, the equivalent availability factor, which is now at 100%, like we are in developed countries, right? Where you always match supply with demand. Maybe if it can be reduced to 95%, then maybe doing that could help reduce. Maybe it's not $200 kilowatt hour. Maybe it's $150 kilowatt, but there is a little bit of compromise. Maybe doing that in a phase stage, so you build that momentum towards having these renewable energy sources coupled with energy storage, that is sustainable price-wise. You know, it's economically viable. If not, if you're just shooting for the target of, oh, we got to reduce 90% from the cost it is now, it's a huge target. So that's one of the ways to get creative about it and be able to accomplish that goal by 2030. I'm kind of learning too as we go here in this conversation. So thanks for explaining everything. And so basically what it sounds like is we're going to have to decouple water and energy. It's not going to last forever if we keep using them at the same time. One needs the other. And one way to do that is the renewable energy sources. However, with renewable energy sources, we just need to be smart about downtime that might be caused because we can't necessarily control those sources of energy. We need to recreate systems that can help us to do that. Is that accurate? Yes, energy storage system to balance the fluctuations, you know, that occur in the supply demand and also work on the demand side management, which is shifting around the energy consumption. So that's another aspect of it. And there is also, you know, the long distance transmission. Sometimes say in Texas, you can do all these renewable energy production using really high transmission systems. So there are Multiple ways. Again, there is a cost benefit. You have to have alternatives, do a compare cost comparisons, environmental impact comparisons, and go about it. There's all kinds of technical aspects to this that you get involved with in terms of water resources and, and all that stuff that's very important from a civil engineering perspective. But I also know when it comes to these types of, you can almost call them movements, that you need to build a support network. You need to grow advocates to kind of move these causes forward. It's something that not all civil engineers deal with and understand because they may not have to deal with that in their specific technical expertise. Can you talk about a little bit about the importance of kind of in what you do, 
getting stakeholders in addition to just having to worry about the technical side of things? That's a great question. And uh, I think that's where our generation, the millennial generation, have stepped up, you know, as a generation of engineers have stepped up. And this is not to say anything low about the previous generation of engineers, but it's just that our generation, it's part of our profile or it's part of who we are in terms of giving it the voice, being able to describe, you know, the pros and cons of the decisions we make, the technical decisions or bringing people to the table and building that support network. So I think I want to give uh, kudos to my entire generation of engineers. And again, you know, that's going back to, is it something good to do? It's no longer that. I think it's important for engineers, you know, to be part of the conversation. That way, uh, technical aspects are communicated. And uh, that's where, you know, building your communication skills and uh, working with your teams more closely, teams both inside your firm and outside, and uh, building that advocacy group and buy in to these initiatives because there could be great ideas, but without support and without the trust among the network, you know, it's not going far. So I think it's a part of who we are and what we do. One of the really great things about the profession of being a civil engineer is that you, of course, have the ability to make monumental impacts on the world we live in because of all the different topics in terms of water resources and climate change and all these infrastructure and all these critical items that we work on. However, to your point, and I'm glad you kind of brought this up, is just because we know how to design them doesn't mean that they're going to happen, right? A large part of that, and we've had people talk about this before on the podcast, is the advocacy of getting out there and speaking to people in Congress, representatives about getting funding for these types of projects. I think it's a really important thing for civil engineers to think about because I know a lot of civil engineers become civil engineers because they want to change the world. And just doing the calculations is not necessarily enough to do that. It's the communication. Yeah, to communicate. And the good news is people listen. That is good news. Yes, especially if they know that you're technically sound and you've been part of it and you're passionate about it and you have your objective about the decision. Passion is one thing. In addition to that, being able to back up, you know, what you're trying to share, people listen and they want to listen. And outcome could be yay or nay. You know, it depends on the project and the opportunity. But getting the word out, getting in front of them is so critical to move the needle. Pavitra, you're a young civil engineer, but you seem extremely confident in what you do. Is that just from experience, how did you develop such a confidence? And you know, you seem very comfortable speaking about everything you work on. Thank you. I take that as a compliment. Thank you so much. As I said, you know, I think it's the journey and uh, the people and the experiences we come across. You know, that becomes our fabric, right? Becomes part of our fabric. That's where I've had the opportunity to work with really highly accomplished uh, people, you know, in their own ways of life, you know, they're an engineer or a doctor or whatever they're doing, an artist. I've had the opportunity to work with highly creative people. And uh, I must say it's uh, reflecting goodness and support where uh, I've been part of these great teams. It's quick wins, you know, as you start moving out, start your career, and then you start building these quick wins and there's momentum that's growing. 
And then as you progress through the journey, you know, you become more confident. There are lessons learned and those are critical as well, you know, as important as successes. And you learn through that and build friendships. It comes uh, just like that. So, Pavitra, this is part of our Women in Civil Engineering series. And here in the United States, there are a lot more men in engineering. However, we've seen some changes in that, and we're starting to see more women get involved, which is exciting. I'm just wondering if it's like that in India or how it was when you were there. Is it similar? or? That's the good news, right? So in India, if you're looking at engineering field aspect of it, right? Yes. You have more men, you know, enroll and become, take up civil engineering as their profession. But if you look at college admissions, especially top-notch colleges, you know, IIT or Bitspilani, it's more women who are enrolled at those universities. But here is the catch. The biggest and the first to drop where women stray away from civil engineering and they move on to software or other things happens after graduation. So that's one of the areas where, I mean, I'm still in touch with uh, my professors, you know, back home. And one thing that, that they're really proud of is that I remained in civil engineering and water and environment because that's my passion. And it's not for everyone. You have to always follow your passion. This is what I love doing. And it's until this date, you know, with deep root, you know, through silver cells, making a difference to cities and communities. That's what drives you beyond the, uh, things such as men or women or the backgrounds. I think uh, passion trumps everything else. You mentioned this, was it the Silva cells? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? So Silva cells, uh, they are a modular suspended pavement systems, which are like, just imagine any paved surfaces, like a plaza area or a parking lot or sidewalks. These are systems, you know, that go under these paved surfaces and they serve as a vehicle to carry lightly compacted soils, meaning that you can still retain the functional aspects of the paved surface above, but at the same time, promote an environment that can help healthy trees grow in addition to efficient stormwater management through underground bioretention. So stormwater management is a huge item, right? It's a compliance aspect of it. So when you have runoff from these development or redevelopment projects, public right away or private development, you have to manage this runoff. It becomes uh, really a challenge to have systems that are above surface because you have to spend into operations and maintenance. The silver cells presents the system where it's you're still working with your limited area constraints that you face in urban setups. At the same time, you're doing it underground. You know, it's savings in surface space, that's dollar per square foot, and also minimal to no operation maintenance. And recently, Silver Cells was selected by City of Glendale as uh, the cutting edge technology, 2019. So this award is as recent as last week on Friday. Wow, congratulations, that's great. Thank you. My background's in stormwater. So is this a subsurface? Is it the actual pavement or is it underneath the pavement? It's underneath the pavement. So you have silver cells, you have different depths that you can work with, and then you have aggregate padding both below and above the silver cells. And then on top of that is your paving. And the beauty of the system is silver cells can work with any type of paving. 
So you can have concrete, you can have permeable pavers, you can have impermeable pavers. So there are multiple options you can work with. And you can retain runoff, you can store them, you can infiltrate the runoff, you can use it as a biofiltration system, which means like a flow-through system. It provides a flexibility where you don't have to tweak your design. Silver cells can fit in within your design, depending on whatever the objective is for the project. That's really interesting. And we'll make sure to get some information from Pavitra that we can link to in the episode show notes here. Pavitra, you've said a lot already, but I'd like you to just stick around for a few more questions and we're going to pepper you, put you on our civil engineering hot seat and ask you a couple of career questions. Is that all right? Oh yeah. Great. All right. Great. We'll be right back with that. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. Now it's time for our hot seat segment with Pavitra Ramon. But before we put Pavitra on the civil engineering hot seat, I would once again like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, CMB HR Consulting. CMB HR Consulting, the people people are a global executive search and consulting firm that specializes in diverse placements of engineering in the heavy civil and water resources industries. CMBHR Consulting provides a full-service menu of staffing solutions, including direct, contract, and temporary staffing. CMBHR Consulting is passionate and dedicated in providing you with highly skilled professionals well-matched to your needs. They have designed their HR consulting services with the small business in mind. However, they are scalable enough to also meet the needs of very large organizations. Since safety is first in the world of engineering, CMB HR Consulting only works with organizations who are safety-focused and have exceptional safety records. They have over 20 years of recruiting and human resources expertise, including talent search, skilled marketing, pre-employment, training and development, and onboarding, and a clear understanding of how each of these processes work. They have an engaging perspective, high energy, and a results-driven attitude. They understand the needs of organizations and the clients they work with and design strategies that fit. If you need help filling your open positions or help with getting your organizations off the ground, visit their website at www.cmbhrconsulting.com. CMBHR Consulting is currently searching for a four to eight year experience senior structural engineer and project engineer in San Francisco and a five year experience civil engineer in Hartford, Connecticut. The San Francisco positions require an SE license, and the Harford position requires a PE license. All right, I'm back with Pavitra Ramoan from Deep Root. We've been kind of digging into a whole bunch of interesting topics here. But now, Pavitra, we're going to focus on a couple of career development questions on our civil engineering hot seat. So my first question for you is, do you have any type of rituals or routines that you practice on a daily basis, whether it's every morning or at lunchtime or something that you do consistently that helps you to be successful? There are several things that come to mind, but I'm just going to list a couple, you know, which I have found to be very useful. So the first thing is, I know you asked this question specific to engineering, but uh, this particular thing has helped me. You do engineering or planning or, you know, it's just a useful trait is uh, regular check-ins. I regularly check in with my team throughout the day, periodically. So it's not, you know, at eight o'clock every day or 12 o'clock, but throughout the day, at least three times, I check in with my teams, both uh, locally and also ones who work remotely. And uh, what it helps to do is it kind of 
streamlines your plan of work for the day and more importantly it helps you prioritize that's where some things that you could learn from your team in terms of ideas or uh, in terms of planning things ahead you know i have folks who are assisting me on projects or other opportunities the check ins always help in terms of staying at the present moment because you know for that day that particular thing what is the priority you know or as a team are we looking forward and moving that and i understand how this is not really specific to engineering but i think you know if you've gone through the program and developed these engineering skills it's the communications and collaboration and doing it periodically and throughout the day kind of helps keeps the focus not just for yourself but for your entire team All right, next question. What is one book that you have found to be extremely helpful for you in your personal or professional development? It doesn't have to be engineering related. Is there anyone that sticks out for you? So, recently I read this book called Tribal Leadership, and uh this book is by author uh, Dave Logan. It's a book that talks about the different types of leaderships and the different types of uh leadership styles and management that firms use. one of the interesting things is the book talks about how within organization you have class 1 2 3 4 so you have type 1 is more like i am great type 2 is like we are great and type 3 is like you know like a group so being able to feel belonged part of the team and it talks about how you grow you have to go through step by step because if you if you're in size or type 1 and you're just shooting for type 4 you miss out on the learnings if that you would get if you progress through the different types so i think it's a neat read by dave logan all right next question you've had i'm sure several managers in your career so far as you've been with different companies and if you think back on the managers you've had and you don't have to of course name names but some of your favorite managers what made them your favorite so one thing is uh, again this question depending on whom you ask it's a match of two personalities and for me you know i might tend to be more entrepreneurial highly driven and uh you know i like to get out there take the initiative and do so for me one of the key traits of my uh present former managers that have really worked is allowing me that space to be able to grow to be creative to go take a shot at it so providing that space and them having the trust on me is a huge thing for me because you know it's that's what propels you to the next level you know to advance so that i would say trust and uh, giving the space all right one final question for you pavitra which we call the civil engineering career elevator advice question if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer for 30 40 seconds and you had to give him or her career advice based on your experience to date what would it be be authentic that's uh you know it's it completely stands out and uh, regardless of your background you know your learning experience i think being authentic and presenting your story you know tell your story you have to be both objective about it and passionate both at the same time and uh, being able to share your journey will help make a true impact that's great i think you kind of just summed up who you are in that last couple of segments which is 
you know, you have a high level of expertise technically, which we know from your experience and all of this work you've done in stormwater. But it's obvious also that you're a leader in the field. You're passionate about big problems in the world that you want to help to solve. And a lot of them you're familiar with because of where you came from, which is your own story, right? Which is why I think you can tell through every minute of this uh, interview that you're very, very passionate about what you do. And, and those are really, I think, the civil engineers like you are the civil engineers that are going to kind of lead us into the future. So thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy schedule and coming on the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm excited to kind of watch what you do, and I hope that you'll keep in touch with us here uh, at EMI. Thank you, Anthony, for your time. Nice meeting you. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Pavitra. She's working on some pretty interesting stuff, and her journey is, is interesting as well. I really enjoyed speaking with her, and I'm really enjoying this Women in Civil Engineering series. I mean, I enjoy all of the podcast episodes that we do, and really meeting and talking with different experts in the field and learning a lot myself and doing these episodes. If you have any guests, whether they're male, female, civil engineers, or professionals working in the civil engineering industry, feel free to contact us through our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. We're always looking for interesting guests. We're also running a series on our other podcast, the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, on the four key drivers of great engineering managers based on our research. And we just recently published an episode with Seth Shiles from Black & Veatch talking about the importance of providing career growth opportunities for your team. So you could check that out on our website as well. Remember, you can find the show notes for this specific episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 132. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Remember to check out our upcoming session of the Engineering Management Accelerator online workshop. This is our people skills training for young and aspiring engineering manager. Next session starts in mid-February 2020. You can find all the details and get enrolled at engineer2manager.com. That's engineer2manager.com. And as I mentioned earlier, we're launching a sister program, the Project Management Accelerator course in the first quarter of 2020, so that we can now help engineering managers develop both their people and their project management skills and be very well-rounded. More information on that course coming soon. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.